We want to welcome those by way of television this morning and radio and all means of communication that are provided for by all of it, United Methodist Church. We worship as a small body, but we have a tremendous force in the community and in the world, hearing from people from all of the world that get our telecast and they've joined you. We enjoy our the fact that they can join us during the week uh, by various means of be television or radio. And we just want to thank the All of It crew for um, taking care of uh, opportunity that we have in our local television station and radio stations and all means of uh, communication. As we begin our worship service today, trust that you continue to be blessed by our music and by our word. A favorite of mine is the opening hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, and this is in honor of the anniversary of Gary and Kathy Kraus. And if you just kind of want to wave at the camera and, and bless you folks who faithfully watch us and, and support us each and every week, they're one of our tremendous, tremendous um, sponsors to make um, this. Are we getting some communication or something? I'm hearing some feedback. That's about the only criticism we, we've received is that sometimes there's talking during our, our worship service or communication going on the mics, and we appreciate the feedback. We want to be as effective as possible and by way of radio and television. So as we honor the anniversary of Gary and Kathy Krause, we're going to be singing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, red hymnals, red hymnals, verses one through three and five, please. And if you'd like to stand, you may stand if you want to remain seated, that's fine too. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing.
thank you. You may be seated. And as we continue, we continue with our hymn of praise as we acknowledge the birthdays of Janet Peterson, Alex Reinhardt. Open my eyes. Open my eyes that I may see. Red hymnals number 350, please. that be our our prayer not only on Sundays uh, the Lord's Day but each and every day of our our lives that the Lord would open our eyes may see father this day we come before you in praise and thanksgiving are facing many things in our society that seem to be falling apart but according to the biblical calendar falling into place we find, O oh Lord, our faith being challenged and very biblical principles being challenged. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we look into your word today and as we look at John, or Luke, Dr. Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, that you would direct our thoughts. Silence us, O Lord, during our prayer time and help us to be conscious and respectful of, of our prayer time. 
We ask that as a psalmist was given this to write from God through the Holy Spirit, Psalm 33, 12, that blessed, blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance, Psalm 33, 12. That despite America's current condition, most Christians who are spiritually attuned to what the Lord of Heaven has to say about the peoples of Earth know this has been since inception a God-blessed, a God-blessed nation. While we look around at the national and world landscapes today, we can say that America's blessings look to be headed in the opposite direction. Just considering the condition that have resulted from the political chaos, the so-called pandemic, and, and now the complete disaster that the Afghanistan withdrawal seems to be producing, it's not difficult to reach the conclusion that the nation has been weighed. We have been weighed, as in our Sunday school class today, weighed in the balance and found wanting. It's it's being asked in, in such spiritually tuned quarters whether we are now seeing the, the handwriting on the wall. While most believe the Afghanistan caught and run decision to be a terrible error by a commander-in-chief who was of diminishing mental capability and more prophetically specific in recent interest recently, some geo geo strategists, former clandestine service types, caused us to think in another direction than a certain mental incapacity. Could we be pointing out that whoever is directing the, the current American administration is using the diminished mentality matter as a, as a ruse? It, in actuality, they say, what is happening is this global reset, a global reset being carried out. That the whole Afghanistan matter, they, they believe, is, is, is to pile on Americans in inevitable fall. That the Afghan debacle is one more part of the globalist, globalist blueprint First, it's a, a stolen American election that's followed by the year-long internal assaults by the U.S. so-called intelligence services and the most respected branches of the service, the so-called FBI and CII and these extreme left ideological wickednesses of the slants towards Marxism and socialism and the news and entertainment media, some even some top military people. Then bursts onto the scene this, this pandemic with the masks and the vaccines and, and the distancing and all the rest of the efforts to control us. It's all in a part of bringing on this global, global reset we've heard about for several years. And that strategy is being implemented by 
the evil powers and the principalities, both human and demonic, of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And I, I, I believe that Satan, blueprint, in that regard, is at the center of the accusations of this collective American patriot, geopolitical thinkers. We hear of pulling forth their, these theories. Again, that, that theory is, is, is that this president's quickly diminishing mental capability is being used as a ruse to the minions hope to implement a global reset to cause us from being first place in the world to a diminishing reset. The, the whole Afghanistan debacle was, was pre-planned and is being implemented. And what we've been witnessing in Afghanistan is not an error, it's just a, a global reset idea. We need to, O oh Lord, to have prophetic visions of what we are experiencing, that many things seem to be falling apart, but according to the chronological calendar of God, end-time events are falling into place. That the prophets of God's message, they, they didn't want to scare us, but they want to encourage us that before we'll, we'll see the undertakers, we'll see the uppertakers. The blessed hope, the blessed hope of the rapture of the church. Because even in your prayer, O Lord, you acknowledge the presence of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As we honor your word today and as we deep into this continuous lawlessness that seems to be expanding not on a yearly basis or a monthly basis or a weekly basis, but on a daily basis. Help us to be found among the faithful rather than the lawless. Help us not to only talk the talk, but to truly walk the walk. Help us for this place to be a place that belongs to believe, to, to become, to be faithful to scripture and tradition and reason and experience even faithful unto death. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing and open our eyes that we may see as you've taught us together to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you're joining us by way of television, it's just a, an added blessing for you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. You get an added blessing according to the book of Revelation that as you not only hear the word of God and re read it, but as you see it, see it before you. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56, please. Jesus is entering a period of his ministry where the disciples are witnessing almost a falling apart. His ability to preach the, the message is coming under attack. Those that hear him, but it's actually 
territories, territories that, that don't want him to preach and minister. And he comes and he moves from a Samaritan village, which refuses to receive him, which we dealt with last Sunday, to the following scripture that deals on his entry into um, another territory and reading from God's word according to Luke chapter 9 verses 51 and following we find these words when the days drew near for him to be taken out say it with me taken out he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, if you can kind of get into the, the sympathetic mode of those who he was entering into, have you ever had the experience that someone has come to visit you and they probably give the response that they're just going to go see somebody else and they thought they'd take the time to stop and see you? To give you a little idea, that's kind of what was going on here, but it so accelerated that they, they were beginning to refuse his message. And he sent messengers ahead of him. And on their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him. What a condemnation. They did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, retribution, retribution. And what a form of retribution. Lord, do you want us to come command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. At this time, we'll have the lay moments for Mike. Good morning, brothers and sisters. In our first verse today, we had read that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. This means he was absolutely determined and resolved to arrive there. Nothing would or could distract Jesus from getting there and accomplishing his goal, his mission. Remember, Jesus not only knew the particulars of his mission, but even more importantly, he knew why it needed to be accomplished. He even knew the, almost, the, the torturous pain and bloodletting he would have to endure to get that mission accomplished. But he voluntarily did it so that we can enjoy the heavenly company of our Father God after we pass. Now he sent the messengers before him to prepare the way because they were traveling to unfriendly territory to get back to Jerusalem. A large part of the hostility between the unfriendly Samaria and Israel was because the Samaritans had adapted some pagan practices in the religion, and furthermore, they thought the Passover meal should be held on Mount uh, Gerizim 
where Moses was going to sacrifice Isaac. Also, they had tried to prevent Jerusalem from building a temple in Jerusalem in Ezra chapter 4, 1 through 10. They felt the temple should be built on Mount Gerizim. That's exactly where Moses had been prepared to sacrifice Isaac. That's where they thought the temple should be. The Samaritans and Jews had unfriendly and hostile were unfriendly and hostile towards each other for hundreds of years before Jews passed through on the city of Jerusalem. A byproduct of this hostility is shown in verse 53, which says, Jesus and the whole company he was with were not welcome. They're unwelcome there. The hostility and unwelcome nature of the Samaritans became apparent to James and John. And they asked Jesus to bring fire down from heaven to consume them. <laughs> that seems a little extreme to me. But this was not unprecedented. They were referencing, referencing when Isaiah, the son of Ahab and Jezebel, was ruling Israel. He asked Elijah sent fire down from heaven to consume them because they were going to hunt them down and kill them. And this occurred again, once again. It happened when Isaiah sent more soldiers in 2 Kings chapter 1. He asked to bring fire down to consume his enemies. So that's probably the reference that James and John were thinking. They didn't see anything wrong with their appeal to God to send fire down to kill them, which I still think is extreme. And they thought it was appropriate. If they thought, well, if Elijah can do it, why not us? And this shows it is all the more reason that you and I and everybody within the sound of my voice should filter all, not some, not a little, all, every single one of our thoughts and actions through the Holy Spirit. That is our heavenly gift that Jesus died so that we could receive that gift of the Holy Spirit to discern when we're acting in God's will, but more importantly for us here on earth, when we're acting against God's will. Jesus endowed us with that when, that when he died. His ways are not our ways, which is why we need to discern right from wrong. But they were available to us so that we may be one with the Father while here on earth and utilize God's treasures to us, the Holy Spirit. He so graciously, graciously endowed us with. Okay. How many times, you know, in our life have certain things occurred where it was almost by coincidence that we befriended people and once we befriended them they became very close in our our lives i think of you know joyce when bill was failing and you came on a particular sunday and i think we i just noticed you you know as a, my left your right side of the church there you were corner that I think I had already spoken the benediction and, and I, I was 
I knew they were kind of distraught and just to told me about her husband Bill's challenges and, and then I, I said, let's all turn and, and look at Joyce and let's focus our, our hand in prayer to her. And as a result of that, that experience, you know, Mike and Nona started coming to church. I also think of a mutual friend of Chris, Larson and mine who, I, John Smith, I was out riding a motorcycle and I was on 85th Street and we were kind of just racing between stoplights, you know, and I, I, I asked John, I says, been riding long and he says, 50 years and he says, he invited me over to the Legion and as a result of that invitation I became a Legion rider and member of the Osseo Maple Grove and we got to know Chris and you know we we've sponsored bikers blessings you know each May and the bikers have come here and, and we've shared sometimes when we think that life is just falling apart it's just really falling into place as a result, you know, Chris is a faithful member. Last few Sundays he's been involved in omelet breakfasts and various activities. But I also remember um, family. It was like 30 years ago, first arrived in Deer River, and they, they approached me. Their daughter had been involved in a car accident. That same week, um, Adam's family best friends were a, a Smith family and their son Donnie was killed in a car accident and I was asked to do the, the funeral service on basically the same highway too. We've become long time, long time um, friends. I'll actually be part of it or going to that service of Lynette. I um, did her her babies, her, her first child was a stillborn. I did that funeral and I did a, her grandmother's funeral and, and uncle's funeral. And, and little did we know, I remember having discussions with the Smith family and, and um, Jay Samuel. At one time you were members of Hennepin Avenue United Methodist and you came over here and you felt the warmth and the hospitality hospitality of, of members here and, and you've been here since those little boys and would just love to fill their pockets with those Oreo cookies and now they're, they're much taller and stronger than myself and just to see them serving the Lord by the great examples of their, their parents, their grandparents, Martha. And you could go on and on probably and you could write individual books of the lives and the hearts that you've touched. And continue to um, remember the Mike Campbell family and your thoughts and prayers and Margaret. We have a recent update. He's, he's still, you know, pretty stable. You know, he's a, he had kind of basically what I had. I, I was at age of 55 and he was at 78. 78, you know, when you had that bypass. And I think of the times when I think I could hear Joyce's words outside my room and I think Nona was there too. I don't know, Mike, did you come up to the hospital? 
He thought I was on my own, so he knew I was I'd get out of there. You know, we've all through, went through brushes in life when, when we felt things would be falling apart, but they were falling into place, and, you know, and there's many that have experienced the death of loved ones, and we've kind of surrounded them in our thoughts and our prayers and our presence. Think of Larry and Kathy and you know, Gary and Kathy and how, how life throws at us so, so many, I like to say hammers, and we kind of turn those hammers into, you know, into plowshares and we kind of try to, rather than be defeated by circumstances in life, we'd like to rise above it. I think you and I, as we notice in these verses, the steady determination. There's a steady determination that you and I are called to be a part of in the day and the time that we live in. There's, there are times when we'd like to react to terrorism with terrorism, but we need to have a, a steady determination with which our Lord Jesus Christ regarded his own crucifixion and his own death. We read that when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew full well what was before him. We don't like to dwell on it, but should the Lord tarry his coming, we're, we're all going to die someday. And hopefully, um, even before our body cools down, we'll be in the presence of the Lord. Our soul and our spirit will be with the Lord. To be absent from the body, Jesus says, is to be present with the Lord, where there's no more sickness, no more sadness, no more death. Jesus looked at the betrayal, his betrayal, and I imagine that would have been anguish enough to know that those who were one time willing to lay down their lives for him were now saying they, they did not know him though they'd walked with him and heard his teaching for some three years that great betrayal the the unjust trial i just i'm so disillusioned with with the legal situ situation nowadays and during jesus time this unjust trial the mockery, the mockery, the nails, the spear, the agony on the cross, all, all were doubtless spread before Jesus' mind's eye. He, he looked at it as a picture of what was to be. But Jesus never flinched for a moment from the work that he had to undertaken. His heart was set on paying the price of our redemption and going even to the prison, the prison of the grave, the grave as our surety. He was full of tender love towards sinners who admitted they've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He was there and he was willing to pay the price for our sins from pulpit to pew. And so the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, according to Hebrews chapter 12, 2. And we studied that today in our Sunday school class. 
Forever let us bless God that we have such a ready, such a ready and such a willing Savior. Forever let us remember that as ready as Jesus was to suffer, so Jesus is always ready to save and to assist us. The person that comes to Christ by faith, whether by television or, or radio, and I appreciate those cards and letters, I, I share them with many people. Many of you do not want things shared, but we honor your wishes if you do not want to have a share names or letters, but there are many that say, yeah, share the words of encouragement that are provided by all of it, United Methodist Church and those who make it possible for our, for our ministry. The mere fact that the Son of God willingly, willingly, Jesus willingly came into the world to die and, and then willingly came in to suffer should silence such doubts entirely of, of his ability and availability to help us. It consists in the, sometimes our ignorance and our pride and our unbelief and in our half-heartedness of ourself, but there is nothing wanting to Christ. If there's ever the def deficit spending or the deficitness of, of our relationship with Christ, it's not on Christ's side, it's on our side. And let us strive to pray, let us strive to pray that, that the same mind may be in us, which was also in our blessed Master. Let Jesus, let us be willing to go anywhere, anywhere by do anything, um, do anything, suffer anything when the path of, of duty is clear and the voice of God calls. I've sworn in many, many uh, military personnel, some that I've recruited and some that had specifically requested a chaplain to swear them in. And I can't help but believe that when they're taking the oath of what their responsibility is to actually give up their life for, for another, how much do they really realize what they're saying? Do we realize what we're saying when we're saying that we're a Christian, a Christ follower, being Christ-like? When the path of duty is clear and the voice of God calls us, let us set our faces steadfastly to our work. And when our work is plainly marked out and we drink of that bitter cup patiently when they come from the Father's hand. And let us notice secondly in these verses the extraordinary, extraordinary condition of two of two of one of the most intimate followers, James and John. James and John, we are told that as they entered into this Samaritan village, and this village failed to show hospitality to our Lord, and scripture says they did not receive Jesus, they did not receive the disciples. 
because their face was as though they would go on to Jerusalem. Rather than a sense of encouragement, and I know at times there, are, there have been people that have come to Olivet and they, they've came here by mistake and they said at the end of the service, this is not a Catholic church. Or they made some comment, and, but I've looked at it as not a criticism, but as a stepping stone to introduce them to a very conservative, maybe Catholic church or whatever their, their leanings were, just so they were going to a church where Christ was preached. Then we, we hear that strange, strange pr proposal which James and John made. They said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did. What, what a switcheroo from being disciples of hospitality. But I've seen that, I've seen that in churches that I've served. We, we got into that somewhat in the Bible study. I, I had a couple, they're related to our Jill and Rich. Our Jill and Rich were who were an Alex Reinhardt, who we remember and open our eyes that we may see. They're Jill's grandmother and, and mother and father grew up in a small, small North, was it North or South Dakota town? It was Tabor, Tabor. I can remember it because it has some relationship to my last name. And on one side of the street, I think on the right side of the church or street, was the Protestant church. On the left side of the street was a Catholic church. And all through Gail and Don Zitka's livelihood as they grew up, Catholics were only supposed to date and spend time with Catholic groups and Catholic and the Protestants, Yale was Protestant and Methodist, and Don was Catholic. And they kind of carried that through, and, but they started dating, and they, they married when they both were assigned to Wheaton. Wheaton, Minnesota, spent a small time in Morris, Minnesota. And then they, they married, and they moved to Deer River, and they had a family, and Don continued at the Catholic Church. It was right next to the Methodist Church, very faithful and Gail was the organist for 10 years that I was there, and up until just a few years ago when she died, she was organist forever and ever. But there was such a schism between Catholics and Methodists in the first few years of my life, even in some of the previous churches I served, that, and it was a part of a ministerium, and it was just more so in the more recent years that we could celebrate Thanksgiving day together, the World Day of Prayer together, and Good Friday services together. I say this to remind you that there is still that, that John and that James spirit in our midst today. Here, here was a zeal, was a zeal indeed, and a zeal of most a plausible kind, a zeal for the honor of Christ, here was a zeal that was justified and was supported by a scriptural example and, and that the example of no less a prophet, 
a prophet than Elijah, but it was not a zeal according to knowledge. Sometimes zeal and knowledge are in conflict. The two disciples in their, their heat forgot that circumstances alter cases. That the same action which may be right and justifiable at one time may be wrong and unjustifiable at another. They, they forgot that punishment should always be proportionate to offenses. And that to destroy a, a whole village of ignorant people for a single act of discourtesy would have been both unjust and cruel. In short, the proposal of James and John was, was wrong and it, and it was an inconsiderate one. They meant well, but they greatly erred. One such situation occurred in Buffalo, Minnesota, where a gentleman was felt somewhat avenged. He later came back and he shot and killed a, a number of people. He actually shot a former member of our church here seven times. Thank God that she recovered. I ask that she share her testimony sometime. Facts like this in the Gospels are, are carefully recorded for our learnings. Let us see that to it that we mark them well and we treasure them up in our minds. It's possible to have much zeal for Christ and yet to exhibit this zeal in a most unholy and, and unchristian way. It's possible to, to mean well and have good intentions and yet to make most grievous mistakes, mistakes in our actions. I am a very pro-life person. I protect the rights of the baby, the innocent, the unborn. It's possible to fancy that we have scripture on our side and to support our conduct by scriptural quotations and yet to commit serious, serious errors. It's as clear as daylight from this and other cases related in the Bible that it is not enough to be zealous and well-meaning. Very grave faults are frequently committed with good intentions. From no quarter, perhaps, has the church received so much injury or from ignorance from well-meaning people. We must seek to have knowledge as well as zeal. Zeal without knowledge is, is like an army without a general or a ship without a rudder or a pilot without a plane. We must pray that we may understand how to make a right application of scripture. The, the word is, is no doubt a light, a light to our feet and a lantern to our path, but it must be the word rightly handled and properly applied. And let us notice lastly in these verses what a solemn, what a solemn rebuke our Lord gives to persecution carried on under the color of religion. 
we are told that when James and John made this strange proposal on which we have just been dwelling, Jesus turned and, and Jesus began to rebuke them and, and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit, what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy lives, but to save them. Uncourteous as, as the Samaritan village had been, their conduct was not to be resented by violence. I led a group through that Samaritan village, and, and even to this day it's remembered because of the situation. The mission of the Son of God was to do good when even we would not receive him and those who would not receive him, but never to do harm, never to do harm. Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is to be the spirit within us, and as representatives of the church, that spirit that's within us, and that power that's within us, never to, to do harm, but that that kingdom was to be extended by, by a patient continuance, a, a continuance of well-doing and well-being by meekness and gentleness in suffering, but never by violence and severity. No saying of our Lord's perhaps has been so totally overlooked by the Church of Christ. Father, this morning, as that which is now before us, nothing can be imagined more contrary to the will of Christ than the religious wars and the persecutions which disgrace the annals of church history. Thousands and tens of thousands have been put to death by various religions for their religious sake and bigotry all over the world. Thousands have been burned or shot or hanged or drowned or beheaded in the name of the gospel and those who have been slain have actually believed that they were doing God's service and none as so infamous as, as the Holocaust and what's occurring in Afghanistan and unhappy they have only shown their own ignorance of the spirit of the gospel and the, the mind of Christ. Let it be a settled principle in our minds that whatever our errors may be in religion we must never persecute them, their errors. Let us, if needful, argue with them, reason with them, and try to show them a more excellent way. But let us never take up the, the carnal weapon to promote the spread of, of truth. Let us never be tempted directly or indirectly to persecute any person under pretense of the glory of Christ and the, the good of the church. Let us rather remember that the religion which which we profess is a profession to Christ, that body that was broken, that blood that was shed. Let, let us rather remember that the religion which we profess from fear of death or dread of penalties is, is worth nothing at all and that if we swell our ranks by fear and threatening, in reality we gain no strength. For according to 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare says St. Paul, are not carnal. The appeals that we make must be to 
our consciences and others' consciences and our wills. The arguments that we, we use must not be sword or fire or prison, but, but the doctrines and the precepts of scripture and tradition, reason and experience. It's, it's a very quaint and a, and a homely saying, but as true in the church as it is in the military that, that one volunteer is worth more than 10 pressed persons with every head bowed and every eye closed and Christians in prayer by way of television and radio and YouTube and other means of communication that we have. May we rededicate our thoughts, O oh Lord, that we, when we see things falling apart, they may be falling into place. Would you pray with me, dear Jesus? Help me, O oh Lord, to be a discerner of the times I live in. Forgive my sins that I've committed, sins of commission and omission, the good works that I've been called to follow for thy kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers come forward at this time for the morning's offering, we appreciate the gifts that are sent in and that make this ministry possible by way of television and your faithfulness and your prayers and your presence. Let us pray together the offertory prayer listed in our bulletin. Extravagantly generous God, there is nothing we have, there is nothing we require, there is nothing we long for that does not pale when placed beside the relationship you've offered to us. As we bring our gifts to you, remind us of the covenant you put before Israel. If they will be my people, I will be their God. Receive what we give in gratitude for your invitation and help us to be your people, reflected in our love for you and for all your children. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the Christ, who gave all there was for us. Amen. Our offertory hymn, Be Thou My Vision, Red Hymnals number 344, to the honor of the birthday of Kim and Ira, and happy, happy birthday to you, Kim. Be Thou My Vision.
Would you stand for the doxology, please? God of great blessing, but even greater lessons than blessings, lessons that you've taught us. Remind us again who gives life and, and who receives life. Sometimes, like Job, we need to have our questioning answered with a lesson, a lesson. We, we need to learn that we are not the ones in charge of the universe. The, the gifts we bring this morning are not a down payment towards a future favor, but a token of a debt we will never be able to repay. May we gain wisdom in our giving, and may these gifts be blessed for the lessons we learn, and for your glory, not ours. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you join me in singing happy birthday to Kim? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Kim. Happy birthday to you. We're going to have a surprise birthday party for you. And I'm hoping that everybody stays after and for our coffee hour. And, and it's a real milestone, our big 40th birthday party. Amen. Kathy and Gary. Yes, happy anniversary. Yes, and, and the one, and the two, and the three. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, Gary and Kathy. Happy anniversary to you. Many more. Amen. Well, let's go have that birthday party in honor of, of Kim and who would like to take us out. You want that right now before the birthday or the birthday first? Food. Birthday. Kim's big 40th. <laughs> 